Welcome back. George Whitfield, Field of 12 After Dark College Football Show. I'm George Whitfield, joined by two incredible co-pilots. We are Penn State, Christian Hackenberg, and joining us brand new in his debut from the Saturday Down South and the 1010 XL Radio Show in Jacksonville. We're joined by Matt Hayes. Matt, how are you doing, sir? Great, fellas. I feel like I should be in L.A. It's after dark, right? It is after dark. Hack, well, how, how are we doing, Hack? Um, I'm living the dream, George. I'm feeling good. I'm excited about this heading forward today. Got a lot of good stuff to talk about. So, um, as always, man, I'm just excited to be with you guys for the next hour. Well, let's jump. Uh, Christian's right. We got an hour. Our, our play clock has already begun. Uh, if you have something out there to, to sip on, grab it. Uh, hopefully, it's got a little content to it. Uh, we're going to go through college football, a big week six, a big week six, a lot of ramifications. We learned a lot. And toward the end, we're going to try to solve some problems. But, fellas, we're going to start right now with the Roman Army. Matt Hayes, we told you, Alabama here is the Roman Army. They went toe-to-toe with Texas A&M tonight. A lot of drama, a lot of a uh, lot of pregame luster coming off the summer, but it was honestly a great football game that comes down to the last snap. Matt, I just want to go to you first, being a, you know your first at bat with us, and what an honor to have you here with us. What were your initial impressions of that twelve round fight that went down to the bell? Well, I mean, George, since you're, you are the quarterback guru, my initial thought is, man, those two quarterbacks, wow. They struggled, but they also made some really big plays, man. They made some – I mean, Jalen Milrow turned the ball over, what, three times? Yeah. Also made some big plays in that game. Um, the last play of the game, my God, I, I don't know what was worse, the the actual play call or the throw or the or the way the route was run out. It was terrible, terrible. Um, and I, I feel bad for those AM guys because they really, really fought in the fourth quarter to get in position to win that game. They got a they got a a a, a PI call there in the end zone, which I, he clearly was getting the jersey pulled. Um, one last shot, one play, and it's just a bizarre down and out that you do in elementary school. It's weird, just very, very weird. If you're Jimbo, you got to do something better than that. You got to come up with something better than that. I agree, Hack. With all the offensive acumen that we've seen with Jimbo Fisher. He's put four kids in the first round as quarterbacks. You come down to the final play of the game. You're inside the five-yard line. On the short side of the field, you run a quick out versus a squatted corner and a safety that's helping. And that's that's the sum total of everything you had in the yeah. bag. Is that the best we could do? Man, I can't, I, I can't believe that that's the best from the six – seven and a half yard line that's the best Jimbo's got in his bag of tricks or even on that play sheet probably that he had installed carrying into this week there's no way that's the best he had um and it, it it's a shame uh to Matt's point I thought those those kids fought they deserved a little bit better than that for 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 that chance to go win it I think they could have got a little bit more creative moved some guys you know motion tried to get some built-in leverage because they were winning. Um, the guys outside were winning towards the end of the game, making some big plays for him. So stay hot, but help them out. Um, and I don't think Jimbo did that. So it, that that was definitely disappointing for me just watching to the to the exact reasons that you mentioned, aforementioned, is that he's produced a lot of a lot of offensive talent at the next level 
you know, at the quarterback position, but then also across the board. So he's, he's kind of regarded as an offensive guru and you'd expect, you'd probably expect some more out of that. And I'm sure Nick Saban probably expected more. He was probably like, thank God. That's what they rolled out. <laughs> you, oh, you, that's play a- matchup. you want to play matchup ball with us. We'll play matchup ball all day. So, right. um, you know, go ahead. Here's what's interesting. That's also coming basically out of two timeouts because the PI yeah. gave them a timeout. Correct. And, and Nick yeah. calls timeout. Correct. So he, yep. he has probably plenty of time to, to, to find a play. And he yep, goes to an elementary school play. Just weird, totally weird. The whole thing was. Matt, they both teams came into this ball game with their backup quarterback. Both of them. And then, and then honestly, both backups are better athletes than the starters. And they're worse. They are lesser passers than the starters. So both teams kind of saw a little bit of that version. Alabama maintains their undefeated streak. Time will tell here really about 12 or 15 hours if they're going to remain under, uh, number one team in the country. A&M now drops the three and three. Yeah. App State, tough one. Mississippi State, even worse. But a, a reasonable, respectable, still a loss in the SEC game to Bama. Which do you think was the bigger deal? Alabama surviving this or A&M dropping the three and three? I mean, I'm simply because of where we are in the playoff world of, of college football. I remember surviving. I mean, I especially considering what I mean. Jalen Milro had three critical turnovers, yeah. and I thought it was unbelievable what Bill O'Brien did after that third turnover. Set him up the following drive with a simple slant. Throw the slant, get a little confidence, and boom, it's a touchdown. And that's yeah. just—it's great coaching. Um, yeah. It's it's getting the guy in position to have success. It's not putting everything on his shoulders. And, I mean, Alabama, this is what they do. You call them the Roman Army. It is what they do, man. They just grind you down, especially in big games. And it's it's futile at some point. Hack, how much noise should we expect out of A&M? I'm not saying you live down there. I'm not saying this is yeah. your beat. Three right. and three. Last year, there was a tweet about A&M where the head coach was the – second or third highest paid coach in the country. The locker room was the eighth ranked most talented based on stars. And they still finished fifth yeah. in the now, West of the sec. Now they're 500. They're playing 500 ball. The nation's toughest schedule. It just keeps going. They got more. Um, they got more heavyweight fights in front of them with a backup quarterback and a 500 record. How much noise should we expect to hear from from Texas? Well, here's here's another factor that you're not throwing into it uh, this year as well that I'm sure it, I, I might be completely speaking out of my ass with this, but I'm, I'm guarantee I'm not too far off. It might be the highest paid locker room in the country as well too, <laughs> with NIL yeah. deals yeah. and things of that nature. So per per Nick Saban, yeah. But what I'm saying is, is when you start throwing that factor in there, those people that are forking out that money to yeah. pay the kids. They want to see. Better believe you better yeah. believe they want to see some ROI. And and if your 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 uh, your buyout ain't with when you're talking Texas A and M money, that buyout is, although it's astronomical, it ain't it doesn't it's not a fail safe or, or safe proof there for you. There's the and you can you can get that forked up anytime soon down there. So that's not a that's not a problem. So I think when you add that factor into it, the expectations are definitely not what they've been putting on the field. So. um you know, again, not my beat, don't really have any ties there, but just outside looking in, like it's got to be better, especially with all the resources that he has and the success he's had in previous places. 
once again, Alabama surviving Texas A&M on the last play of the game. A&M with the ball inside the 10-yard line makes a makes a I don't even want to say a valiant effort. I don't, they like they ran the play that was called against an all-world corner and an all-world safety and they denied it. And that was it. Aggies also denied. Aggies 3 and 3, Alabama currently unranked. Uh we'll see how their number 1 goes. Again, Field of 12 After Dark. Thank you for rolling with us. College football at night. How else would you want to see it? George Whitfield, Christian Hackenberg, and making his debut at a Jacksonville, Florida. Matt Hayes, if you have something to sip, grab it. We're going to go into our traditional toast. Those of you who have been with us, and those of you just joining us, we usually always typically do a toast to our favorite thing in college football. Hack, I'm going to start with you on your toast. Um, I'm going, I'm going down to the Red River rivalry, Red River rivalry. Um, the uh, mullet toting gunslinger over there for the Longhorns coming off a shoulder injury. Um, played big, you know, we, Trevor Knight, Trevor Knight got on me a little bit. You know, he played big against a defense that's hurting, but he still played big, came out and showed some growth for a kid in his first year starting. I would think I'm really excited about his opportunity there at the University of Texas. So hats off to Quinn Ewers and uh, that Texas team just putting it on Oklahoma in, in a pretty, pretty good fashion. I think putting themselves in still in the running for the Big 12 down there. So here's to UT. Hey. Mr. Hayes, sir. Out of North Florida, your toast goes to. Hendon Hooker, man. I mean, it's unreal mm. how well that kid is playing, not only right now, but, I mean, so since they lost to Alabama last year, okay, which was in same same amount of time, mid-October, um, third Saturday in October, he's thrown 24 touchdown passes against one interception. 24 to one. It's sick how well he's playing right now. Every game this year, all five games, he's thrown at least two. He's thrown two touchdown passes, hasn't thrown a pick. Um, Tennessee, Tennessee, welcome to the playoff chase, Vols. It's been a long time. Good to have you back. Uh oh. Wow. <laughs> I'm cheers, not saying I don't disagree with to the Vols, man. <laughs> the Vols. I respect that. I respect both of those toasts. I see your toast and I raise you. Uh-oh. A little West Coast love, California. UCLA, undefeated, had a biker gang roll into town. Uh-huh. <laughs> the one they were told they needed to look out for. Battled them and beat them. The tr- uh, oh, my goodness. The Bruins knocked them out. Utah Utes, Chip Kelly, uh, Dorian uh, Thompson Robinson, yeah. And all of the uh, Utah or the UCLA Bruins, I'm all tied up right now with all these acronyms. But the Bruins taking care of business in California. We'll get to the city of Los Angeles. But the Bruins moving to 6-0 and and staving off the biker gang, U- UCLA. Before we get rolling here, quickly. We had a little bit of fan interaction already, fellas. Big question. Did you think it was a pass interference on the second to last play of the game? Obviously, we are all interacting with this thing and jumping up and down. 
Matt Hack, you guys have any thoughts about how the officials handled uh, the last couple of players of the game? I mean, grab this jersey. That's what I saw. Yeah, yeah. grabbing the jersey, you're you're inhibiting the play. So I mean, I, I think it's yeah. a good call. holding. Yeah. Hey man, you got to do what you got to do. Listen, I, I I think referees have one of the hardest jobs on the planet. So like, as long as they're consistent, I can't argue with it. So I thought that that you know, for the most part, they were pretty consistent. They let them play when they needed to let them play, and you know. It was what it was. So. I mean, to that end, to that end, Christian, honestly, that's back to that play that Jimbo that he chose. Yeah. Why not just run a pick play and force the official to call it? Force him. Yeah. Yes. Right. Because yeah. you know what, to, to Matt, I was just going to say, to your point, I honestly think, just like what Hack said, they kind of swallow the whistle in those last couple of plays because they don't want to be the factor. Wanna, you don't right. want to be that guy. They don't want to be that guy. Yeah, no. It, and they, they kind of want to hold off. And hope and pray that it works itself out. And then it wasn't, you know, he didn't get tripped or mugged and the ball flies right over his head. I think they right. just kind of want to play that off. Field of 12 After Dark. You can find us in Sirius XM app, Sirius XM app, and you can get the merch uh, modeled right there by Christian Hackenberg, Field of 12 gear, all kinds of other gear uh, at Field of 68 Dop Shop. Don't go to fieldof68.gov. Go to fieldof12.org. Go to yeah, or fieldof12.org. Go to fieldof68.shop. Fieldof68.shop. Uh, .shop, and you can get all your merch. Rocket to your tailgates, girls' nights out, ladies. Um, I'm telling you, you'll turn all kinds of heads. Back to business. We already got Alabama and A and M. The Tides survive. You already got our toast. Time to go to the next big heavyweight matchup. The Vols and the fighting Josh Heupels traveled down to LSU and knocked out the Tigers. It wasn't ever close. It wasn't ever close. And honestly, fellas, to me, the difference and the separation between the two teams starts at the quarterbacks. The separation of the quarterbacks was the separation of the two teams. Because you can't tell me LSU is not a talented team and they have a great coaching staff over there coaching them. But the gap between these two teams are the two field generals in front. The Tennessee Volunteers knock out LSU 40 to 13. Hack, what was your initial take on this game? My initial take is you can't start the game the way LSU started the game by getting the kick, taking it off your face mask and giving Tennessee the ball from their 20 yard line going in. That's a tough way to start. Um, but I think from a broader picture, you bring up a great point about the quarterback position, but I still feel that this LSU team for the, all the reasons you mentioned can still knock anybody out on any given Saturday Yep. with the guy pulling the trigger. But I, I mentioned this on Thursday night. I think that Tennessee and LSU from a program development standpoint are on different stages and what you saw, I think they're on a similar track Similar yep. type of talent, similar type That's of fair. team, similar type of That's tradition, fair. but they're on a completely – they're UT is a year and a half, two years ahead of, of yep. LSU, right? And I thought that that maturity and that identity showed, and it, it definitely helps when you have a guy like Hendon Hooker, who, by the way, hasn't played football at the level that he's been playing it throughout his entire career. It's not like this guy has just been consistently playing at an extremely high level, struggled a little bit at Virginia Tech, found a new home, did all that. So a battle-tested type guy, I think – brings in kind of an uh, 
a symbol of the of, of the Tennessee program rising from the ashes. And I think that um, that's really what I saw today. I saw two teams, very talented teams, uh, a guy who's trying to kick off that reascension and, and somebody in Josh Heupel who's done a hell of a job down there. Um, and really, you know, that should be the focus is, is congratulating him on, on the direction that program's heading into Matt's point. I think they, they can make a push. Now this Alabama team looks, uh, looks to be mortal this year, or at least more mortal than they have been. So. Yeah, that's next week. Third Saturday. Do, I, mean, I, I, I think it's that program guys, the, the metamorphosis from, from where it was with the PE coach, mm-hmm. because right like a week and a half, two weeks before he got fired, his OC, Jim Chaney, start talking with Hennon Hooker because Hennon had jumped into the portal. And he, he told me last year he liked the way that, that Hennon managed the game. He liked the way he threw the ball. So Hennon Hooker signs with them. The PE coach gets fired. Hennon Hooker could have easily just left, but he didn't. <laughs> the he PE coach. <laughs> Jeremy Pruitt. So he, he st- no offense to the PE coaches of the world. I love you guys. So um, he stays there. Josh sells him on this, this offense that he has. Then – Josh doesn't win the job. Joe Milton does. Right. Joe Milton struggles in week two against Pitt. Josh goes in there, and he's played lights out since. It's amazing. He had the he had the most underrated season last year. Thirty four touchdowns, three picks last year. The most underrated season of anyone. And you know, I keep hearing about well, LSU doesn't have it doesn't have full complement now. Their their, their roster isn't isn't completely done. Or the week or two weeks before it was well, Florida's roster's down. Josh lost more than thirty guys to the portal. His first year there, 30 guys. He's had 18 games with that team. Listen to this stat, 18 games with that team. They've scored more than 40 points 10 times in 18 games. And probably scored 38, five yeah. more times. Yeah, I'm telling you right. And then 30s, yeah, and the 30s at least five. Yeah, so he, they, he's got it rolling there, man. And as you guys know, it's all about the quarterback right now, and it's all about offense and football. And this is what I love most about what Josh Heupel's doing. Don't play around. If that's your centerpiece, if that's your catalyst, operate like it. Don't get cute. Don't go off of him. Keep the ball in his hands or run it through his hands. Hendon Hooker has shown tremendous range, reach, accuracy all year. And discernment. Again, interceptions. What does he have? Two this year so far? None. He's got None. Three. He's got three at Tennessee in 18 games. Three, three, I, I, correct, at, at Tennessee, none this yeah. year. He's got 44 touchdown passes and three interceptions at Tennessee. It makes no <laughs> sense. So so here, to that point, man, and, and when you look at Josh's offense, it's not like the most complex, crazy thing in the world. They, they play fast, and what they do, they operate at a high clip and do it extremely efficiently, and you got to tip your cap to a kid who goes in there and doesn't get bored just taking what they give you. Right. And when you look at him, too, because we talked about this a couple weeks ago, when you watch him play, he'll go 18, he'll go, he'll go 18 for 22. And three of the balls that he misses are like by a yard and a half down the field. And you're like, damn, man, like he could have had more. Um, So, you know, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot to be said, though, to, to his patience and ability to take what they give you and live within the system. And he hasn't really ever tried to cowboy and play outside of it. And you got to tip your cap to a kid who can do that. And you're doing it up against a 24-year-old college quarterback. Some of these guys have journeys. We talked about it. Sean Clifford, uh, the big fellow up there, Purdue. Some of these guys have journeys, and they've really matured. You're going up against, really, he should be starting for an NFL team. 
right? The accuracy, uh, the control, the poise the game that they're playing with. Yeah, yeah. and it, you're, you're, you're playing with an adult, yeah. not a young guy trying to figure his way out. The difference between Hendon Hooker and Jaden Daniels, and God bless Jaden Daniels, he just got in a couple months ago at LSU. He's trying to figure this thing out. They don't have it all bolted down yet. And you're coming up against Rafa Nadal. And you're trying to figure out how does your own tennis racket work? Do I, am I right? Like, like, like good luck. It's already it. too late. Yeah, I agree. And honestly, I'm so curious to see what the, what Vegas has to say on the line next week, Tennessee, Alabama, Tennessee. They are, that's a, it, they're a track meet right now. They're a track meet and playing good defense. They're not really outscoring teams. They're knocking teams out. The only other offense in college football, and this is a question to both of you, that I see as formidable as Tennessee lives in Columbus, Ohio. Is there another offense that can get you for 40, 50 points every Saturday night? Texas, maybe? Quinn Ewers? (laughs) Yeah. And I think USC. Maybe Texas, yeah. Yeah, I think Texas, USC. Matt, Quinn Ewers has played five quarters this year. I know he has, man. And then he just he just beat a team that Kansas State beat, and who else beat him? I feel TCU run fifty six on him, and fifty. Yeah, right. I love the enthusiasm for all our Texas fans out there, but let's slow down on the Texas thing. But what's the other team you just said? I said either one of you. I said USC. 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 Okay, I'll go with the. I think SC. I think SC could run it. Because I said this too. I don't think SC's really had to get out of like second or third gear all year yet. They haven't. Like they haven't but, had to like they still got here's it. the killer part, Hack. Tennessee and Ohio State, they get into fourth gear for no reason. Oh yeah, hundred percent. They're they're doing 100%. eighty in a school zone for no reason. What are we doing? The, but just to problem. show you, huh? I said and that's the problem with Ohio State fans. They get pissed off they hung seventy seven on Toledo and not eighty four. And it's like when you look at the you look at the the amount of teams that have scored seventy points in the past like seven years in college football, Ohio State. They've done half like, of them. Half of them. Yeah. It's yeah, ridiculous, yeah, yeah. dude. It's like, you're like, all right, man. Hey, and but, bo- uh, both those teams, I mean, Ohio State hasn't had Jackson Smith and Jim enough, what, two and a half games, three and a half games? They no, most of the season. They haven't had him second quarter against Notre Dame. So Cedric Tillman hadn't played the last three games for Tennessee. He's another All American. Right. So 100%. Yeah. Let's just, let me go over these stats here real quick. Tennessee, total yards 502, LSU 355. Uh, the Vols passed for 239, rushed for 263. That's the thing. George, that's the thing. I want to tell you this. That's the thing. In 12 of his 18 games, they've rushed for more than 200 yards. That's they've outrageous. rushed for more than 200 yards. Think about it. Because you could fall asleep looking at these guys like a super high-powered, uh, you know, finesse team, this, this air raid. They're really a version of the Big 12. They're not the version of the Big 12. Josh Heupel has made sure his ground game is formidable and his defense is right up front while we're still bringing our Air Force on you. It's amazing. They're like Baylor. And, Remember yes. what it was with Art Bryles? Art Bryles. Yeah. Same kind yeah. of Yes. Offense. With the yeah. super wide formation. Yeah, to Bryce the numbers. Right. In that. Right. We're going to stretch out. <laughs> we'll, we'll read the box. We'll let you make your own determinations. And then we're going to scorch you. We're either going to score. You got to have a guy that can throw it accurately out there, too. You got to have a guy throw it accurately. Yeah. Yeah. So for Bryles, it was Petty. For these guys, it's Hendon Hooker. 
Yeah. The Tennessee Volunteers, 40 to 13. They go to five and oh. Now, look, LSU is still four and two, but they just barely climbed into the top 25. They're ranked 25 coming into tonight. Uh, but it's the Vols, all kinds of big numbers, 500 yards of total offense, a little more than half of that on the ground. And that's with Hendon Hooker still missing some big time home runs. Tennessee goes on to win. Hey, we had a, a, a question from the chat. From Kit Kat on YouTube, uh, did we think it was an actual PI toward the end of the Alabama game? Yes, we all think it was a PI, but we all just given the content of how referees call those last second plays, kind of also how they do Hail Marys. They're not going to really get involved. Uh, I am basically speaking for the team there. So let's go from That's Tennessee. Fun. Come on out here to Los Angeles. Welcome to L.A., the two L.A. schools, the bitter rivals, future Big Ten residents, both had big games today. USC went up against a wild Washington State team. UCLA invited the biker gang coming in from Utah. Both of them held serve. Matt, I'm going to start with you. Which win was more impressive, the Trojans overtaking a game Washington State team or UCLA standing up against Utah? I mean, the biker gang has to be because, I mean, if you if you look at UCLA, you know, wh what they've done under Chip, they've been kind of finesse and he's been building and building and building. He And we always thought, well, he's just got to get to that point where he was at Oregon, where he had physical lines of scrimmage. You know, the team that played Auburn in that championship game was a physical team. I think right. they're very close right now, very close. And they got speed on the outside, too. And DTR right. is really playing well right now. He's not making the mistakes he's made in the past. He's playing very smart. He's throwing the ball accurately. They're a dangerous team. I don't know how far they can go. I'm not sure how far either one of these guys can go, to be honest with you. Because I think they're, I think they're both based on offense. And at some point, they're going to have to stop somebody if you get to the playoff. And I don't think that will happen. But they're fun to watch. They're fun as hell to watch, man. And and I think that not only the progression of UCLA, but but USC with Lincoln, how quickly he's turned that around, man. He and, he and Kiffin, really, guys, and I know this is kind of off on a tangent, Yep. But he and Kiffin have kind of shown every athletic director and every university president out there that it doesn't take two or three years or four years to build a team. Correct. It takes a good recruiting, a good recruiting the, the portal. You get the right guys in there and you can take off, man. They've both done it. Agreed. And they're both great ball coaches. People in Oklahoma are salty because, you know, just how Lincoln rolled out. Seems like half the country's salty with Lane because of whatever it's probably more about them we're always salty with Lane, they're, yeah. they're both great ball coaches hack uh matt went with the bruins are you rolling with the bruins having the bigger win tonight or the trojans or yeah. do you just look at both of them had just big I, nights well i mean i think both of them had big nights and at the end of the day you know we're gonna find out november 19th when they when they go to lock horns yep. yeah you know what i mean and that's that's the beauty of it um UCLA has got, I think, Oregon next week or their next game. Is that next week? No. So they got a bye week, and then they play Oregon on the 22nd. So, you know, I think this Oregon team's much improved since that beatdown that Georgia put on them. Um, they've played good football. They've had some tests. They beat a BYU team that we were high on, you know, a lot of lot of returning experience on that BYU team. They went in there and then and handled business, and they've been handling business up until this point. So, um, I think that this Oregon team can be a little bit of a, a of another test for them. If they pass this, though, 
you know, I think it, it is going to come down to that November 19th game. And realistically speaking, when you're talking college football playoff, I think from a Pac-12 perspective, from a Big 12 perspective, um, and an ACC perspective with Clemson now kind of back on the horse, whoever's undefeated is going to get that fourth at-large bid because mm. Notre Dame's non-existent. You know, right. you, you don't really, you don't really like, and there hasn't been, you know, a group of five storyline team like Cincinnati. Whoever's undefeated is going to get that at large bid in my opinion. So um, someone's got to figure it out. And it's, it's, it's good to see two teams alive in the PAC 12. Uh, well, really three teams, I think, even though one, one's got one loss, um, you know, but if they can, whoever comes out of that, the least scathed can, can make a run for that fourth at large bid, in my opinion. Uh, let's go into that just real quick between the two of you, given basically what hack just said, Look at it from UCLA's perspective. If UCLA runs the table, they run right through the Pac-12. Do they warrant consideration for that fourth spot in the playoffs? And I asked that question because the Trojans started already in the top 15, maybe top 12. Now they push their way up on the edge of the top four. Matt, the Bruins... I don't even know where they started. I don't even know if they did get a chance to start yeah. in the top 25. They, they made this meteoric rise. They've been knocking teams out. Big knockout tonight. And you know college football world felt that. If they run the table on brand, on reputation, on body right. of work, right. do they merit a seat at the table? So, so there's, diff- there's a difference between merit and will it happen. I don't know mm-hmm. about merit, but it will happen. If they go unbeaten, they will get to the playoff because at this point you could say even you you could say there's going to be an unbeaten SEC team, there's going to be an unbeaten Big Ten team, there could be an unbeaten ACC team, there's not going to be an unbeaten Big Twelve team, so they're not going to leave an unbeaten Power Five conference champion out of the playoff. They just won't. So I, I, merit, I don't know if they. I I would think that if you're unbeaten in that league, you're doing something right, okay. But I think on just based on really just based on what it looks like. I don't think the playoff could tell a, a unbeaten Pac-12 champion that you're not getting in, but we're going to put one loss Michigan in. Michigan's only loss is to Ohio State, and they didn't even win their division. They didn't play in their championship game. I don't see that happening. I, I think if, it, if all things being equal, they'll get in. Mm-hmm. So for all you Oklahoma State fans out there enjoying the big win tonight, going. winding it down, you can <laughs> send all your fan mail to Matt Hayes at the 1010 X over here show in Jacksonville. <laughs> almost he is, tonight, man. He has already canceled they did. all your national championship reservations as you currently stand undefeated. Matt Hayes' uh, thoughts are not necessarily the thoughts of Field of 12 football. <laughs> Direct them to Matt Hayes. Hey, uh, Hack, mm-hmm. UCLA. Yeah. If they run it, do they get a seat? Yeah. I mean, I think it's going to be interesting if they run it, Clemson runs it. You have uh, Georgia beat Alabama in the SEC championship game. And let's say, let's say Ohio state runs it from the big 10. Cause it's going to be someone from the big 10 East, whether it's Penn Correct. state, Michigan, or, or Correct. Ohio state. I'm throwing Penn state in there is just because of where they're sitting. Right they now. should be They're 10. Yeah. Um, but someone from the East is going to be there. Historically speaking, there's been two teams from the SEC, and then there's one at large bid. But now, if you have a Clemson team run the table in an ACC, that is down. But if they run the table and they're back, history kind of speaks for that. And then you have a Pac-12 team run it. 
that's when I think the conversation gets interesting. And that's when I'm really excited for the 12 team playoff. But where would you put your money? <laughs> the undefeated ACC legacy team that Clemson has. That's what I'm saying. That's there. going to be the hard thing. Or the new um, kid on the block. It's going to be the hard thing. Um, and like I said, I, I, I'm sure that, that there's going to be other variables that go into that decision at that point in time. Fan, fan, fan support, ticket sales, things of that nature. At that point in time, they're going to start trying to drive it. Or if the team's hot. And that's the nice thing is I think UCLA is going to have bigger games at the end of their schedule that people are going to be tuning into. And if they go out and they beat Oregon and then they beat SC on the showtime and then they win the Pac-12 championship game. Okay, cool. Like there's going to be a, they're going to have a lot of momentum. So, yeah, I mean, I think they, if they run it without a doubt. Real quick, can the city of L.A. beat Clemson in a neutral site? Matt, I'll start with you. Could the Bruins and Trojans combined. both beat Clemson at in Dallas? Let's put it separate in Separate or Dallas. combined? <laughs> uh, separate. I know they'd want to probably combine. We'll go separate. Could um, they each beat Clemson? DJU's playing pretty well right now, man. He, he's – I think he's almost back to that – DJ freshman going into South Bend and playing really well. Um, on neutral field, yeah, I, I think I think USC because I think they're more offensively explosive than UCLA, and UCLA has looked really good on offense the last couple of weeks. But I think USC might be able to. Yeah, it's just defensively. I, I don't know what we have with either one of those teams on defense. I don't I don't know what they can do as far as it's third and three and you got to stop it. You got to stop a basic isolation run. I don't so know you, that. So, no so you certify the Trojans. Do you certify the Bruins against Clemson? Neutral site. Uh, I'm iffy on it. I'm iffy on it. I'm not going one way or the other. So that's a no. Hat, could the city of L.A. get past Clemson at a neutral site? I think it'd be tough, man, because I think the front seven at Clemson. Vicious. Is is nastier than anything they're going to see out there all year. Um the hard part is, is the back half of Clemson is not what it has historically been. And then I Correct. think from the Clemson offensive side of the football, they aren't what they have historically been Correct. outside of the box in terms of matchups and creating separation and winning. So when you're weighing it to me, it's like almost a balance of like, can, can the high powered offense that hasn't seen a front seven withstand that? Or can the, offense that's usually running on 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 racing fuel that's down to that old 87 outside can they <laughs> can they keep up in a track meet with another high-powered offense right like that's kind of how i put it and you know I, I don't know i think the clemson team been there done that in that type of setting you know Dabo, where they're at i, I i'd probably lean towards clemson on, against both of those teams but We'll have to see. Like, oh I, like we'd have to see, but I'd leave. I, mean, I, I almost look at USC as like a watered down version of Oklahoma right now, because at least Oklahoma had some guys on D. At least watered down version of the head. old Oklahoma. Yeah, 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 yeah. The old Oklahoma. You know, at yeah. least they had a guy off the edge you'd always had to worry about. They had a linebacker you have to worry about, maybe a safety or a corner. I'm not sure they have anything right now on defense you have to worry about. Yeah, that's fascinating. That is true. Uh, the city of LA. Coming through tonight, the 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 Trojans defeat Washington State, uh, thirty to fourteen. Uh, Trojans go to six and zero. Washington State goes to four and two, and UCLA also goes six and zero. They hold off the Biker Gang, University of Utah, who is also four and two. City of LA 
remains undefeated. Let's go from the city of L.A. to the state of Texas. TCU and the Texas Longhorns both had big matchups, both completely different opponents. Kansas, if I would have told you a midseason battle for TCU would have been on the road at Kansas <laughs> with college game day and a sold-out crowd that was going to come down to the last play of the game against an undefeated Kansas Jayhawks, you would have drug-tested me. Yeah, or the backup quarterback you would have <laughs> drug-tested me right. six weeks ago. But would you have drug-tested me if I told you Texas and Oklahoma would be a 49 nothing knockout, which could have been way worse, in the Red River rivalry for the Longhorns? Which was more improbable, Matt? Wow. I'm going to have to go with the Red River beatdown. It has to be. Because, I mean, even as improbable as, as TCU is, because let's not forget wow. this Sonny Dyke's first year. It's his first year there, you yeah. know? Um, and and Max Duggins didn't play like this last year. Nope. So that certainly was surprising. Kansas clearly is surprising. But what Texas did to Oklahoma, and I know Oklahoma gave up 56 to TCU last week. But, man, that's a different game. You go into that game, and it's different than any other game on your schedule. That's gut check time, especially if you just got beat the week before the way you did. And I know they didn't have the quarterback, but, man, defensively, they've given up 100, what, 105 points in the last two weeks? That's brutal. That's yeah. that's for a head coach who's made his bones as a defensive coordinator. As a defense, the best defensive coordinator yeah. we we're told in college yeah. football. So, that to me, that's why it's so shocking is the – it almost looks like, and I hate to use this word because I hate to say it about players, but it's all, it almost looks like it's not that they quit, but they're like disinterested now. We're five yeah. six games in the season. They look disinterested out there on defense. I see how that could be, Hack. You'd be disinterested too if you got out gained 585 to 195. That was the difference today between Texas yeah. and Oklahoma. 585 to 185. And Texas on third down, both teams faced 15 third downs tonight. Texas was 10 out of 15. OU was three out of 15. Hack. It's hard to read Texas from my standpoint because you see them one night, big knockout. They came with it. They rose to the occasion. And all you really had to do was wait a week or two. Their gloves are down. They're not sober back up yet. And they get knocked out by some some opponent that yeah. you that you didn't even see coming. Yeah. So that's one thing. And then on the other side of the table, to Matt's point, the best defensive coordinator in college football, arguably, like just on the surface of everything. Brett Venable's coming home. This isn't a place he's foreign to. He comes mm-hmm. home to Oklahoma. And your given skill set is the most exploited part of the whole equation. They're not losing 10-6. They're getting blown out astronomical. They're giving up triple digits in two games. Which which is the more um like which is the more bizarre scenario? Texas popping up and then going back off the rails or OU three straight losses now. And all like the whole thing is yeah. on fire, but the defense most especially yeah. has, they haven't even checked in, let alone try to check out. 
Yeah, so I'll, I'll make this quick. I think it's I think it's Oklahoma defensively is the mo- more bizarre scenario for all the reasons you mentioned. Venerables being a defensive guy, you would think that he would still. It, it ain't like they don't have talent at Oklahoma. They got guys who can play, whether it's whether it's experienced or not. They do have guys that can play. Um, so I I think that's the most surprising. And to answer the Texas side of the reason why I'm not that surprised at it is again, I know it's a small sample size. I know what people say, but you can't argue with the fact that. When Quinn Ewers is playing quarterback for that team, they're a more confident team. They move the football better. Sark seems to call better games. They have more flow. It just seems like he is the guy that that team's playing for right now. Um, right. You know, and I, 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 I just make the argument, you know, again, like I think Trevor, Trevor got on me about this, but I said, I think if Quinn Ewers plays the entire game against Alabama, Alabama has a loss right now. And it's not necessarily because Quinn Ewers plays out of his mind. I think it's because the way the game plan was designed, and the way that defense was playing, he was going to make enough plays for them to outscore twenty points at that point in time. So I I don't want to get out of I don't want to get out of whack with that, but I think he's on he's when he's in there, I'm not as worried about Texas, and I think Oklahoma's got a lot of problems that they got to fix. Can we give a a, a quick note? TCU now undefeated, veteran coach Sonny Dykes undefeated came out of nowhere. UCLA undefeated unranked to start the season out veteran coach chip kelly has these guys dialed in the tennessee vols undefeated i i'm curious and um our producer trevor if, if you could shoot us or just even message us what tennessee started at to start the season out all three of these programs started undefeated and all of them are so dialed in and matt hack and i have gone back and forth between each other and we've had everybody else on the show with us on on the past (laughs) but i've always been an advocate for starting the the top 25 rankings in october if you start them in october then you had a chance to see everybody for who they are not who you project them to be these teams wouldn't be having to come out of the wilderness and come flying up the charts and you wouldn't see notre dame and some of these other ones get shot out to the wilderness if we could watch them for three or four weeks, they're not the same teams. Some and, under and, promise and over deliver some over promise. And under yeah, I mean, well, look, correct. The three, that the three affects a lot of evaluation. The correct. three teams you mentioned were all unranked. All of them, Tennessee, TCU, and UCLA began the season unranked. So that's what I would do, honestly. And I used to vote for the AP top 25 years ago. I wouldn't start until the first week of November, honestly. Mm. Then you really get two months of a season in. Where you're Correct. like, oh, and look, I've been saying this over and over, and I know people won't agree with it, or some will. If you don't think the polls affect the way that college football playoff committee votes, hundred percent, hundred percent, mind if you don't think that that affects them because it does, it does. They see that. I've been in those things. Believe me, I've been in that hotel in Dallas. Okay, they do these mock drafts, and I did it. I did it in 2016, I think it was 2015. And we did the 20, we did the 28 season, okay, which was the season where Texas and Oklahoma and that 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 big problem and one beat the other, and then the other one went in. And believe me, the argument is always, well, they were this ranked this when they were there, or they were ranked that, or they haven't beat anybody that was ranked. Who did they beat? Who did they beat that was ranked? Those are the things these guys talk about. They can talk all they want about these metrics that they use in the advanced statistics and analytics. No. It's the eye test, and part of the eye test is rankings. So, yes, absolutely rankings affect those committees. Absolutely does. 
Um, again, just trying to have a, a 30,000 foot view in the college football season where you are lined up in the quarter pole. It's just a NASCAR race. They put you at 25 and you do all this hard work and you wind up getting up there. But if they put you at five and you do all kind of crazy hard work, just getting to one, obviously, is much easier. Those three programs, Tennessee, TCU, and UCLA, man, a, a, a toast, a toast. Because I wish I could sit in those preseason team meetings before the season started. When those coaches said, trust in our process and what we do, and we're going to knock all kind of out and get there. Uh, so city of Los Angeles, state of Texas, let's swing up here to the big 10 here real quick. Michigan knocks out Indiana. Um, a lot of drama today for Michigan in that their running backs coach, Mike Hart, uh, had a seizure on the sideline and just emotionally and psychologically affected that team. There were players that had to be consoled during the game. Michigan was already in this kind of a barroom brawl with Indiana. It was 10-10. They kind of worked their way out of it 31-10. to And on behalf of Phil to 12, Coach Hart, we hope that you're okay and that you make it back. And then you go up to uh, East Lansing. Ohio State shows up there, and they're as Ohio State as they possibly could be. Game was over in second quarter. They have so many ways to attack you. They don't have a out pitch. They have like seven out pitches. So once you start sitting on one or two of them, the other five come at you. Uh, Hack, I'm going to start with you. This feels like your beat. Yep. Uh, what's more likely? Michigan can will their way through an undefeated season until they have to go to Columbus. Or somebody along the way could find out how to slow down Ohio State and possibly get them into extra innings. Mm. It's tough, man, because you're talking about the East. Like, it's its own division. And I, I, I will argue that the Big Ten East is one of the toughest divisions in college football right up there. With Should the be its own conference, sides. to be honest. I mean, it's crazy. It's, it's, a, it's, it's the top four or five teams in that division can can go play anywhere. Um. The Michigan team scares me right now because of their lack of propensity to put JJ in, I guess, compromising situations to an outsider's view, but for a guy who played the position, like make him go dive into situations and not dip his toe in the water. Like make him make some throws that he's not comfortable making against an Indiana team that, you know, you can come back in. And I thought they, they still had training wheels on him for the first half of this game. And then the second, they started opening it up the second half and he ended up going on and throwing for 300 yards. And that's, that's great. But I think you need to push him earlier. If you're Jim Harbaugh, especially since that's the decision you made to replace a guy who beat Ohio state, which is one of the things you just mentioned, won you a conference championship, which is something they haven't done in a really long time. And then got a birth in the college football playoff, which has never happened before in school history because I haven't been around that long. But the, uh, Michigan also hasn't been relevant for a while like that in, in that sense as well. So when you replace a guy like that, you know, I think you got to really push the kid to, to, to reach that standard. So to answer your question, I think Michigan stumbling in there, um, 
you know, I'd flip it on its head. I think Ohio State's going to roll, and I think Michigan could actually trip up coming off being the reigning Big Ten champs. I think they could trip up and slip up and, and run into something. They got Penn State in uh, next week. So yeah. We'll find out. Six days. They'll go up against Penn State. Matt, what what is what is most intriguing to you on the Big East? I'm just going to go on the Big East. Sorry. This is not field of 68. Uh, this Miami is field is. of 12 yeah. after dark. I apologize on that one. Um, the the basketball heads of all this are probably pumping their fists. Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, also throw in Maryland, who got into a like a like a big exciting. Yeah, came down again to the last play. What's the yeah. most compelling? Uh, aspect to you, Matt, as you look at the Big Ten from the South? So I'm going to flip it a little bit on Hack, but I first want to start by saying this. I think it's going to be whoever Penn State can figure out how to score some points against, be it Ohio State or Michigan, they got the best chance Mm -hmm. of winning. The Penn State D is really good, man. Really good. Really good. And they can cover in the back end and they can rush. So they're going to be a problem for both those teams. I don't know if they can score enough points to be a – problem for four quarters but they're going to be a problem um as far as ohio state and michigan i i look at jj mccarthy and i see a guy who's just got enormous potential Mm -hmm. and i agree i agree with hack 100 percent if you got a guy like that that is a dual threat guy that can stress defenses with his legs and can make any throw on the field you got to not only force him but you got to open up your offense for him too and they've got six games to do it um if they can get by Penn State, and that's going to be a tough game, man. They get by Penn State, and he has a chance to kind of like open it up a little bit over the next five games. I, I you know, every, everything's Ohio State's going to win that game. They're going to the playoff. I would not say I would not go that far, man, because he's six more games into his progression, and he is a dangerous quarterback. Mm-hmm, that kid's mm-hmm. got some talent, man. I saw a, uh, a trailer to the new Redeem Team documentary with Kobe and LeBron, Coach K coaching that Olympic team. And Kobe Bryant said, defense and rebounding, you can beat anybody. Yeah. If you focus on defense and rebounding and for football to translate that over, it's defense and special teams for football. Penn State's defense, in my eyes, sits right there with Ohio State and Michigan. They just don't have – I don't think anybody in the country has the throttle power that Ohio State does – and even Michigan seems to get first downs and touchdowns easier than Penn State. But again, matchups make fights. Penn State, Michigan will meet next week. Heck, that's it's in, in the big house. It's in the big yeah. house. It's in Michigan. They, it's in but Michigan. They, Penn State has Ohio State coming to them. That's another which is always a good that, game. Yeah. yeah. It's I, always I, that's always a good game. And again, so well too. For, and and this is the Big Twelve. Uh, the how many times are we going to say it? This is the field of 12, not the Big 12. This is the field of 12 reaching out to the Big 10. We know you're this close from doing away with the divisions. All your monsters have to dance with each other just to get to your own conference championship. And meanwhile, the West is out here just playing checkers until we call for one of those guys to come forward. All the slaying will be done in the yeah. East Big 10. Can't we do anything about it? In closing, uh, with with the Big Ten, Illinois, the Fighting Illini showed up today. <laughs> they got themselves, they found themselves a little room on the docket. They had 
uh, a rock fight of a win against Iowa. A rock fight. Couple guys on this side of the street in a ditch. Couple guys on that side of the street with the ditch. Both of them got a bucket of rocks. Just, I mean, it's what no shootout now. Don't be be no, no. Do not be mistaken about any type of shootout. Who can throw more rocks and hit the other crew more? Illinois, the fighting Brett Bielema's coach. All respect. Nine and six. Nine to six. Illinois now undefeated and making some type of noise. I don't know if we can hear the noise, but they are trying to make noise over there in the West. All right. Scenario time. And we're coming down now. Uh, Field of 12 after dark. Uh, College football live. Thank you for uh, rolling with us. Matt Hayes in his debut from 1010 XL Radio in Jacksonville. Christian Hackenberg. You've been with Hack for the last two years. We are Penn State. Fellas, can we start helping programs out? I would like four or five names you want the college football world to be aware of in some of these coaching hires. Hack, I'm going to start with you. Give us a couple of names of guys you believe in your heart would go in and turn one of these four or five programs around. All right. I'll start near and dear. I think Bill O'Brien will take a job and will get a job uh, this cycle somewhere. I don't know if that's going to be college or NFL, but Bill O'Brien will be somewhere other than the University of Alabama next year. Yep. Um, Jeff Trailer at UTSA. I think that's one of my shot in the darks. I think he's uh, done a great job down there. If you could win there, I think you can win anywhere, specifically leaning towards more of the Nebraska thought process because they got to recruit out of state. Um, Interesting. They, they don't have anything there. You got a guy who's got some ties down in Texas, can maybe can maybe steal some. Probably got to have a guy who's got some ties in California as well. He could steal some guys and get them, get them to old, uh, Lincoln. Be good. Uh, Sean Clark at App State. Mm. Um, I think would be maybe a decent fit down at Georgia Tech. Again, mm-hmm. you know, I don't mm-hmm. know, but you got to see what type, of, what Similar type of mentality you want to get. You know what I mean? But I think he's done a damn good job at App State at, 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 at developing an identity. And then uh, I'm just going to go four um, because <laughs> five, six, seven, eight, you know, they all kind of cross, cross for me. But the fourth one, interesting one, Matt Rule. Kind of along the lines of same, uh, same. kind of along the lines of a Nick Saban and 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 others who've who've been great college coaches turned a couple programs around, made the jump wasn't as successful. I think he's a damn good football a college football coach, great culture guy. Um, I think could do a really good job for a program in need. Matt Hayes, I'd love to see Matt Rule go to Georgia Tech. Love to see that. That's a perfect spot for him. Georgia man. Tech mm-hmm. as his agent. Uh, He's just as he's, his agent. They ain't gonna pay him though. They ain't gonna pay him though. <laughs> he might as, as well his agent. There and take we the respect the love, but I cannot let my client go to Georgia Tech uh, at this time. Go ahead, man. Matt. Go ahead. They're gonna pay it. They gotta pay at some point. Yeah, at do. some point you gotta pay. Um, I love Phil Longo at North Carolina, the offensive coordinator. Love him. He, he's just done unbelievable work, both with uh, Sam Howell and now with with uh, with the uh, Drake. Drake. Um, yeah, so I, I think he's done unbelievable work. He's a guy that I think is ready. He's a young dude, great recruiter. Um, Zach Arnett's another one of those young guys, the Mississippi State defensive coordinator. Zach um, who? Zach Arnett at Mississippi State, the D.C. Oh, um, I like this. Yeah, yeah. It'd be, it'd be a great – also a great minority hire. Um, he's a guy that's a terrific recruiter. He comes from the Rocky Long Tree 
Um, Rocky Long's just been an unbelievably successful defensive coach, really, really well respected in the coaching community. Um, he would be a great fit. I think even though even though Oklahoma put up a huge goose egg uh today, Jeff Leppy, I think, will be a good coach at some point. A really good head coach. Mm, ooh, that's a tough one. I don't even know how you really go forward in a meeting right now. They got shut out against Texas. They only got two scores against TCU. I know, but you can't. I mean, you, he, he was without his quarterback, the number one quarterback for quarter. And I George, agree. He's got to get number two ready. I agree with that. Totally agree. Right. But George is going, right. you're, you're only as good as your last game. I kind no, of I, correct. I, I agree. I, when when I agree. you're talking about – it's hey. going to take an AD with some balls or who knows what the hell they're talking about. Or to grew be up with somebody. him. Yeah. Right. Or just grew like, up with him. <laughs> yeah, really really this. This over here. <laughs> hey, the, Nebraska, it, that Lance Leipold is a lock for that job. A lock. Wow. That's a, that's a, that's you a think lock. Nebraska, Nebraska or Wisconsin? No, Nebraska. Oh, no, Nebraska, Nebraska. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Wisconsin keeps Jim Leonard. They, they, they got, they ran Paul yeah, Christoph. Yeah. I think Wisconsin them. settled. That's settled business. My, my yeah. thoughts on this. I love where you two both went. And we're closing in here on the uh, the field of 12 after dark. We're closing in. My thoughts are this. Larry Johnson, long time. Oh, man. And that's the alarm right there with uh, with Larry me trying LJ. to get this wrapped up. But uh, okay, Larry Johnson, long time defensive line coach for the Ohio State. Yeah, yeah. Long time. And, mm-hmm. and he's kind of phased in and out of being the coordinator. They've had so much success and sustainability at Ohio State. We all have Matt Roll. And nobody wants Matt Rule to win more than me, but maybe it is back in college football. His heart's here. He should take one of those big jobs. And two NFL coaches, one's currently a coordinator of the NFL and one's coordinating for the NFL's 33rd team. Bill O'Brien, hack, I'm with you. He's going to get one of these things. And Pep Hamilton. Coach uh-huh. Hamilton's been all over everywhere, quietly succeeding. He's with the Houston Texans right now, whose offense is in the middle of the pack with the second-year quarterback from Stanford, and really not much else to speak of. The average American can't name two Houston Texan football players, and no J.J. Watt is no longer there. Either way, field of 12, we are solving America's problems. Come with us. Grab something to sit before your girls' night, before your tailgate, before you head back out with the fellas. Roll with us. Field of 12 after dark, George Whitfield. Christian Hackenberg and making his big debut tonight. Matt Hayes, 1010 XL radio in Jacksonville, Florida. We will see you guys next week. Big week seven. Peace.